Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, this week I get a chance to sit down with Scott Reekers from Eastman's. He's over their um, tag hub and he works with Brian Barney on the Eastman's Elevated podcast and as well with Dan Percar and producing the um, Beyond the Grid TV, which is Eastman's YouTube um, TV show, and it's a really cool show. Anyway, me and Scott talk about lots of different stuff. Uh, he's a big-time mule deer hunter, very knowledgeable about um, application strategy and all that, so we kind of get into that, and I wanted to release this episode while we're sort of starting getting into the thick of application season. Also, he uh, set me up with the Eastman's Tag Hub uh, Elite Membership, and wow, it is really impressive. Um, it's a super um, just valuable tool to have for researching tags, states. You know, it's kind of got all your information you need in one place as far as licenses, uh, costs, season dates, um, and, you know, draw odds. Everything you really need to really buckle down and do some research and figure out you know, your tag strap or your tag and application strategy for this year. So highly recommend you check out Eastman's Tag Hub. And actually, if you use the code HQ20, that's HQ20, you'll get 20% off your first order with Eastman's and you can add that at checkout. Uh, I really uh, recommend you guys check it out. I haven't even, like I said, I've played with it a little bit, but I've just hit the top hit the tip of the iceberg of what's possible. It's a very powerful tool. It's already been helping me out uh, with my elk strategy for next year, but there's a lot in there. So if you're um, looking for a place, kind of a one-stop shop with all the information you need to really buckle down to some research before you start applying, highly recommend you check out Eastman's Tag Hub and use that code HQ20 for 20% off your first order. Uh, without a whole lot of further ado, I think you guys will enjoy this episode, so let's just jump right in. All right, so I'm here with my guest today, Scott Reekers from Eastman's Hunting Journal. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Good to be here. Thanks for yeah. having me on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for reaching out to me. Um, we kind of connected on social media and yep. kind of put this together just yesterday. So it's it's good to be able to connect kind of short notice. Yes, it is great to do that. So, man, I am excited to be here. I'm excited to chat with you and be able to talk with you. Um, you know, I'll, I'll full disclosure, I saw that, uh, you know, Baker had interacted with you guys a little bit. So I have to give him a little bit of credit. You know, he accidentally kind of, you know, put the hunter's quest on my on my radar to oh, okay. communicate with. So that's a that's a good thing. What did you, you know, just I, see I, him I, on your that connection? Did you see I me saw, on, your, on a story he, or something? Yeah, I saw that he shared that. And, you know, I've been, I think I've been following you on social for a little while. And so it was one of those things I was like, oh, I need to, I need to chat with these guys. So, yeah, man, cool well, to do that. These guys are just this guy. It's that guy. <laughs> Nobody else. Nobody else. Just one me. man show. Okay. Yep, I'm a one that's, man that's band. A yeah, man. Right. So, um, well, I mean, you know, I got, I got partner, you know, I got a hunting partner and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm working on more partnerships. Like I, you know, I, I did some work with Dan from Elk Shape mm -hmm. this year, filmed yep. for him. And yep. uh, I think that's how I got in touch or Baker got in touch with me. But yeah, I had Baker on the podcast a couple weeks ago. He's a hilarious dude. And, and Brian was on the podcast. He was one of my first mm -hmm. guests and he, yep. 
I just been super impressed with Brian and guys like Brian who are willing yep. to give their time to no yep. name dudes like me. They're just starting out, you know, and so that was cool. Brian is um, Brian is a, a class act. He for um, sure. He and I have kind of been partners in crime on this podcast deal. Um, just I'll I'll kind of give a brief intro on what my um, yeah. responsibility and the work that I do here at Eastman's is. Um, anything digital media and and um, some business development um, is a lot of my responsibility. Um, but digital media includes podcasts, um, Eastman's Tag Hub, all of those things. So circle that back to Brian. Brian and I have been partners in Cribe since we launched the podcast. He nice. actually started it, and then we said, "Hey, let's partner together." Cool. And he was pretty pretty jacked up and excited to do that. And now it's a, uh, you know. All I'm seeing on social media, all these people posting their favorite podcasts from Spotify or whatever, and Eastman's Elevated is in a bunch of them. And so I love that Brian has um, has stuck true to what he does. Yeah. He has done a really good job in making sure people understand that he's about helping them be better hunters. You know, mm -hmm. and that's part of our mission statement here at Eastman's is to help hunters be better hunters. And so he has stuck true to that, and that's what Eastman's Elevated is. Um, we're not walking sound bites. None of us are, you know, like a, <laughs> a baker or even an Aaron Snyder, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and we know that we're, we're about helping people be better hunters. And so that's what, um, you know, that's what Eastman's have elevated evolved into. For sure, man. He, he, you know, that podcast was one of, you know, when I got into Western hunting and backcountry hunting, not too long ago, um, you know, podcast was one of the ways I learned a ton yep. and Eastman's was a part of that. So um, you guys are doing great stuff over there. So I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. So, um, how's your season been, man? So this year I actually killed, um, he's, he's another personal best buck. Um, it was a battle to get there. Uh, <laughs> it was not what, um, what I expected. Um, so I'll, I'll tell that story. Um, just so yeah. you know, I don't leave everybody cliffhanging. Um, For sure. what happened was, I scout every year. I've got a routine. It's like this, you know, I'm 38 years old. I've been hunting high country in Wyoming now for basically my entire life. Yeah. Um, and so I've got a routine and how it took a lot of lumps and bumps and bruises and that sort of thing to get that routine and get it the way that um, I wanted and expected. And so the first thing that, that I do is I scout, but I have learned that for me personally, the most effective scouting is a one single trip or two two fairly intensive trips that's what makes the most sense for me personally mm. and so um at the end of august um brandon mason and i he's um, and you can see my 2020 hunt on uh on beyond the grid on eastman's youtube yeah i was we, just watching that actually <laughs> it was a, that was a fun hunt um, and there's a lot, a lot to that hunt. That was actually a, a seven day process to get to that deer, um, mm. and full moving camps and all sorts of stuff. Like you only, you get 28 minutes to show seven days, right? Exactly. You, you know, yeah. so it's, it's kind of a, a challenge in that regard for sure. And what we did is we, um, or Brandon and I went in and scouted no llamas. We, I go in light and fast and, you know, we, we scouted, we found a few good bucks. Um, one in particular, we were fairly excited about, but we were a little concerned about pressure in this area. Like it yeah. was something that could, um, could play a role. And so 
Brandon ended up being the only one able to go because um, shortly after that scouting trip, I uh, see this dry spot on my knee and I'm like, what in the world is that? You know, and this is kind of probably gross and too much information, <laughs> but you know, I told the story now a few times, so may as well tell it again. Yeah. Um, so I see it and then it starts to hurt. You know, I'm like, what in the world? Why is this hurting? You yeah. know, this is weird. And so I go to, uh, I go and I'm like to the doctor and he's like, Scott looks like some cellulitis there. I'm like, what? You know, and it started getting red. Huh. And so what cellulitis is, is it's an actual infection in your skin. Mm. And so I'm like, oh, well, this could put a damper on things. And doctor's like, well, when are you planning on leaving? You should be okay. We'll get you the antibiotics and it should be gone and cleared up by then. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> it did. Um, but one of the things that happens that's super fun, it's a, it's a super fun piece of the equation, <laughs> is... For some people, when you start taking the antibiotics, it actually gets worse before it gets better. Mm. Like, and, and I'm like, well, this is pleasant, you know. So, like, I don't um, don't don't see any improvement for a little bit. I'm kind of freaking out, and of course, my wife is freaking out, thinking, "Oh, we're gonna <laughs> chop off his leg." And I'm like, "No, the leg's staying. Uh, we're gonna figure this thing out." And so after that, um, I I end up having to cancel this hunt with Brandon because. And it's really good thing that I did because I ended up having an allergic reaction to the antibiotics, which killed the, um, killed the bacteria. So, you know, and just for the record, anybody can get, um, cellulitis. If you have a cut, you know, even if you are like the cleanest person every day, you could get it. Yeah. You know, now there are probably conditions that would make it worse. I, you know, I didn't do any research on that, but of course, Google's not your friend when you're dealing with something no, like no, that. It always shows you the worst images that get yeah. the most clicks, <laughs> you know? So, um, don't, I don't recommend looking it up. Um, but I had this allergic reactions so that I dealt with for a week. Um, literally, like it's just if you've ever had an allergic reaction to antibiotics you know exactly what i'm talking about and it was unpleasant it was not um something i would wish on anyone yeah um so i didn't get to do my september 15th mule deer hunt okay. and so i i bagged it i talked to the Ike. i called the guy who i rent the llamas from and said hey can i can i go a little bit later and he's like yeah perfect take it and you got them for a week and so um then we we did some shuffling found a camera guy who would come with me and we ended up going in and i it was a struggle to find deer um and and i'm going to make some changes next year um to where and how i hunt and set up camp i think i've i've got a little bit different plan and we'll see hopefully uh, this helps with a little bit of pressure too this area wasn't as bad as what brandon experienced where brandon went in with the llamas there were six camps in his drainage Oof. like yeah it was bad yeah. um and so yeah it was a challenge for him he uh, he was a little little discouraged to say yeah. the least would be a, a good way to put it and so he ended up coming out and hunting some some lower country trying to you know do some low basin hopping and things like that he did and he did not get a deer but he also had a really good elk tag that he needed to go and take care of so he he came back and then just set up to go elk hunting the next week so that worked out for him because he killed a good bull but i'm hunting and we're not seeing a lot. We're not seeing a lot. I'm finding smaller bucks, smaller bucks. And so tell my camera guy, I'm like, all right, we're going to go check this other basin right here. And 
Um, and I set him on one side of the group of trees and I sat on the other side because I was having to actually game the sun a little bit yeah. where you pick where the sun's at and you kind of have to, you do perpendicular to it. Um, Who was your and, camera and that, guy? If you don't mind me asking. Um, him, my camera guy was somebody you've never even heard of. His name was oh. Evan. Okay. <laughs> um, he's, uh, um, he actually helps, he works at ski resorts, believe it or not, like does event stuff. Okay. So, um, it, uh, it was not one of our normal, normal, like guys that you see in the magazine. Um, yeah. oftentimes it's Brandon Mason and I together when we go on a hunt, um, he and yeah. I do a lot of hunting together when it's filmed for Eastman's. And so my camera guy was on the other side and he's, you know, non-resident doesn't have a tag he's just there having fun he was yeah. there to uh he, he's a backpacker himself so he was really honestly he was really just enjoying the trip as much sure. as anything else and so um he i set him on one side where he didn't have to fight with the sun because he's learning out of glass in this whole process and he's the one who finds the buck i like of all good thing things, he didn't have a tag I know, right? If he'd have been another Wyoming resident, that we'd have been changing roles here, like because that's kind of my rule: is if you spot yeah, it, spot it, got it. You get, you, yep. yep, first dibs. I, I mean, and I and we've always operated that way with me and my buddies, even before I worked here. Um, and so we made a plan for the next day because we saw where the bucks were heading. Yeah, and um, I killed him the next morning. Right. It was, nice. we got in there and it worked pretty good. Um, so we'll see how the footage turns out. Um, you know, that's always kind of an X factor. Sure. Um, but he ended up, he's a one eighties type buck. Um, he's got 30 and a half inches wide. So I was pretty, uh, pretty thrilled nice, with him, man. um, as far as how he looked and, and what he, um, you know, what, what kind of buck he was. Yeah. Um, so we got him all packed out, got camp all packed out. Llamas worked hard. Um, it was a long day cause, uh, we ended up dividing and conquering, hauling some stuff out and then getting, you know, getting the rest of like I was, while I was getting the deer. Um, so that was, that was kind of a interesting day. It was a lot of work, nice, but it was man. worth it. And so, um, that so was is, my, that was the highlight of my season. Nice. So is mule deer kind of your primary focus? Yes, I would say I am um, in September and October. I am a fanatical mule deer nut. After that, I do a lot of waterfowl hunting. Nice. Um, and so, we, yeah, I but, noticed when we were out there antelope hunting, like all these little ponds in the public land mm -hmm. just full of ducks and yep. nobody hunting yep. them at all. Yep. <laughs> so, and it's a. Uh, it can be pretty fun to hunt ducks out here in the West. You know, if, you know, shameless plug, if you're uh, in, into waterfowl, go give Todd Helms and wingman a follow. Um, that's Eastman's waterfowl brand. Cool. And he's done a really good job building some really cool content there. Yeah. Um, and of course, by default, a lot of our waterfowling is what you can do out here West. Um, and it's yeah. a lot different. You don't have to, you're not necessarily fighting the crowds on some of these places. Right. Um, on, um, there is some public land that, it, that you will fight crowds, you know, but basically the bigger, the public land, the better. Yeah. And you're not fighting um, a three week season where everybody has to go get it done. You've right. got, you've got a long season to be able to do yeah. that. So, so I'm um, coming from the East you know, coast and like, you know, that was how I grew up started hunting was birds yep. and waterfowl. Cause my dad's a big waterfowl guy. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of how I cut my teeth and everything. Um, so yeah, man, pretty cool. It is. It is. And it's fun. It's, uh, I'm not, I didn't grow up waterfowl hunting. I would have loved to do it, but I grew up in Southwest Wyoming. And so that's a place where <laughs> waterfowl hunting in the middle of the desert 
um, <laughs> is, is not um, ideal. There's right. there's a few rivers there where there will be ducks, but they don't stay very long yeah. because they don't have the feed. They don't have the they don't have the ag fields. But if there's ag close to a few of those rivers, yeah. Oh man, you can you can get some pushes of ducks. Yeah. So I am curious to hear a little bit more about hunting with llamas because so okay. um, if people are listening to this, um, you know, we're recording this on December second. Yesterday yep. was the Idaho non-resident tag madness. Yep. So a lot of people were involved in that, myself included. I was number 13,000 in the waiting line, but somehow I actually did get our kind of second choice unit and actually picked up a mule deer tag and a concurrent uh, elk tag in the same nice. unit. Um, so, but the unit I picked is, um, it's very rugged. I've heard a couple gotcha. guys say it's some of the most rugged country in the lower 48. Um, you know, but I like that. I like a challenge. Um, that being said, I am kind of looking at different options and considering, you know, what, what's available. Uh, so, and you know, llamas are something that I've never had any experience hunting with. It looks really cool. looks interesting. So I'd just love to hear a little bit about that. What's that, what's that like? And you know, is it, does it add a, a le- like a, a large level of complexity to a hunt or is it kind of just a, a luxury or a little of both? It's both. Um, number one. Um, and I, and I've said this in the magazine. Um, so there's a few good, we've got a few good articles that, that can kind of, describe it a little better. Um, so the first time I took llamas was in 2018 and I've used them ever since. Um, and I really enjoy it, but part of it is I grew up around stock. Now let me be Mm. 100% clear. There are guys that are horsemen. Okay. Because I grew up around horses, I'm comfortable around them, but that does not make me a horseman. Hmm. Um, guys like Steven Rosso or my buddy, Johanna Slabbert, who they can take a, they can take a horse and they can, they can literally, um, break it and build trust. Like we're not yeah. talking guys that, um, you know, that, that rough house with the horses or anything like that. Um, I watched both of these guys over the last couple of years where they have taken horses and they have literally, um, Johannes does 100% wild Mustangs. Um, and then That's I watched cool. Steven take a Colt, um, from, you know, basically green broke on social media and watched him all the way to this year where that was his, his, his like mainstay horse that he used. So there, I, I use that to say there are people who are, are like horsemen or animal people. Yeah. Um, I am not one of them. Um, Ike is, Ike is actually really good with stock. Um, he grew up around a lot of it. You can see that Mike Eastman, obviously in the books and the family history that he was around stock and things like that. Um, and so Ike and I decided in 2018, we were going to take llamas into a spot where, um, I had done a lot of mule deer hunting and we were going to make a focus intense effort because number one, I didn't draw an elk tag. And so I've kind of quit applying for elk tags that compete with my, um, seasons for mule deer. I just, I really want to be a, a focused, intense mule deer hunter. Yeah. And, and so what happened then is, um, we tested it out on a scouting trip. We found some bucks that we were interested in. Ironically, I went back and scouted to go check them out one more time for like a quick bonsai overnight trip. And I ended up finding a different buck, the one that I killed in 2018. Um, and 
we found out that llamas are great for the pack outs. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't haul nearly as much as say a horse does. Um, they are a lot easier to manage than horses. Um, the only difference is that you don't get to ride them. You have, you you still have to be in good enough shape to hike in. Sure. Um, you are to some level still tied to water, but you can work with a lot less water than what a horse needs. Right. Um, so for instance, this year I was able to, to take a, it was a five gallon, one of those expandable five gallon um, jugs. And uh-huh. we filled it up at our last possible point with water, which was still a mile and a half from where I was planning on camping. And there, I knew there was water in some other places that I could bring the llamas to, but I still had to plan, like, I might not get there for a few days. So that five gallons lasted about three days for those llamas. So they need a lot less. That's pretty good. But you still have to logistically plan for that. Sure. Um, you also have to have enough feed for them, and you have to have an open enough area where you camp. Um, Scott Woodruff, the guy at Lander Llama Company that we work with, he's got this setup where it looks like, you know, those dog chains that you screw into the ground? Yeah. And you leave it there. So he's got like a heavy duty version that, um, that's, that's worked up for, um, for the llamas. Gotcha. And so you have to have enough space. So depending on how many llamas you have, you have to have enough space to have all them tied up. Mm. Um, Brandon with six camps being in that area and some of the others having horses and another one having llamas. Well, the issue then became that, um, there's wasn't enough space and the yeah. drainage, you know? Right. And so that said, he had to manage accordingly. And that was a challenge for him. Yeah. Um, so there's good and bad. Um, I'm going to keep using them cause I like it. I like yeah. that. My body's not nearly as beat up afterwards and I will um, continue to, to deal with that. Um, that I guess I'll call it a little bit of extra headache there. Yeah. but it, it works just fine what's um, like for me what's like ballpark if you don't mind me asking like day rate for running stock like that i think scott does somewhere around 70 dollars a day oh that's um, not bad at all it, it's not terrible um scott i apologize if i got that wrong you can you know you can uh, email me later um <laughs> but land lander llama company is who who i use he um, he provides all the the panniers, the saddle, everything that goes with it is part of that rate. Um, and you do pay a deposit up front. Sure. Um, and he will do like an hour long training session on how to put the saddles on. His sure. system's pretty bulletproof. Yeah. Um, if you can tie a latigo knot like with the um, with the cinch, you can do it. You know, that's nice. it's pretty straightforward. Um, and if you can weigh the bags, I mean, you'll be fine. He, he recommends you don't go higher than 70 pounds on those llamas. Okay. Um, and so that's, if you do one, here's the way you have to kind of mentally prepare that if you kill a deer, like basically an entire llama then is going to be dedicated to that deer. Right. So that means that that, that at least one llama's offerings, what it carried for you is now going to go on your back. Right. So what I, I struggle to get up to 70 pounds just cause I've been such a lightweight backpacker for so long. Yeah. So if I get to 60, that's like really heavy, even in a llama. Um, and that's before water, of course, but I always start off without water, but I go to places I know where I can get water at the last possible point. Then I fill up and then it's just one grind rather than haul water in with me. Yeah. You know, but that's the advantage of being, being a resident in a place where 
where you know those things for sure um so that's how that's how i've managed and used the llamas um don't buy them you know i, I would tell anybody <laughs> even people who live out here don't buy them unless you are that dude who's going to haul them into the mountains every single weekend yeah um because if just like a horse if it's out of shape, it's going to be a pain. Right. The difference with a horse is the horse will do it because you ask it to, but it starts getting dangerous once a horse gets tired. That's when mm -hmm. it falls on you. Um, whereas a, a llama, when it gets tired, it's just going to tell you, look, dude, I got to lay down, man. You're, you're killing me here. <laughs> and so renting them from Scott, he does wilderness trips all summer long with them. Like he's literally booked shape. out. Yeah, exactly. And they're in better shape than I am. You know, so that is a, that's a pretty good deal there to get llamas that are that in shape and that prepared. So nice, man. Well, that's, that's interesting. I mean, it definitely add a different uh, element, but it could be kind of cool. Yep. So I'm about to think about that. Um, tell me a little bit more about Eastman's tag hub. And we mentioned, you talked, we talked for a little bit yesterday and you mentioned something about like a four state strategy that sounded kind yep. of interesting. I'd love to hear a little okay. bit about that. Cause I'm like I said, you know, my listeners know, like, um, I'm all in, but I'm still pretty new to the game. Okay. So, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about that stuff. So Eastman's tag hub, I'll say it was like 30 years in the making because it started off with what we called the MRS, which is the members research section, which has been at the back half of the journals for years. Like, Mike Eastman started it as tips on how to come out and get your license. And then Guy Eastman took it and he took it to a whole new level where he broke it down. He started giving rankings, blue chip, green chip, um, and yellow chip and yellow's marginal blue being the best green is just a good hunt. Um, we've done our best to standardize that based on trophy quality for the hunt that happens inside a unit or an area, not necessarily for, uh, and that's a projection. We're trying to project sure. for the next year based on everything that we know, um, and plus some proprietary algorithms. There are things that um, that we've worked on and seen trends and numbers that we can put in. Um, nice. And so it, it works really well with that. And so what we've done is we've taken it and we've put all – um, all of the antlered Western hunts in all 11 Western states, we've taken them and we put them in a digital sortable form. And so I can literally say you would have told me that you have one point last year in Wyoming Grand Loop. You told me that was kind of the situation you did in a special draw. I could take that and I could take that antelope filter. I can put it on there and or on the antelope layer. And I could literally show you every unit that you could draw with one point through a couple of sorting features. Nice. And so we this is going to sound funny in our mobile digital age but we realize that not a single one of us in our office um does does real research or real applications on their phone hmm. like when you actually sit down and do hunt research the vast majority yeah. of the time it is on your desktop sure um and so we actually sat down and said okay we're because of this and because we know that from you know 30 pushing 35 years of experience doing this and working with, with guys who want to hunt out west most are doing their research on their desktop yeah so what serious we research create, is usually on the computer yes yes <laughs> yeah. and so um so some guys do it on their ipad and so the ipad experience is pretty similar to desktop um, but we built this where 
it made it real easy. And there's a giant chart at the bottom that you can click on it. You can click on it on an area or a unit and it'll highlight it up on the map. Um, you can take all the data that we've got and it'll show it on the right side of the screen. It's pretty impressive tool with what it does. And so nice. tie that into my four state strategy, you know, and you know, I should, I should probably keep some secrets here on this because now oh, everybody's yeah, going to know how I do this. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. We know, we know full well that this is part of um, what we do and we help, we help Western hunters be better hunters and we help, help people get out and enjoy the field. We help them chase the adventure Yeah, man. Um, is part of that. And, and we want to help them notch their tag. That's why we called it tag hub. You don't just, nobody leaves on a hunt without wanting to notch their tag. You know, sure. that's a big part of the experience. And so sure. what we, um, what we chose to do is for what we do with a four state strategy. And Mike Eastman did this years ago and we're having some conversations about encouraging guys to update that to a little bit more broad because of um, some of the things that have happened. Um, so being a mule deer guy, here's how I do it. Wyoming is my bread and butter. I live in a state where I can get a general tag every every single year. Is that sustainable? I don't know. But because I live in Wyoming, it's going to be my bread and butter. Yeah. So then I've got two high opportunity um, states next, number one being Montana, and then number two being Nevada. And why I say high opportunity, because Nevada is a random draw. Like I could right. bore you with the way their system works. Um, it's bonus points squared with random assignment of numbers for your order in line, similar to what you did in Idaho. Oh, oops. <laughs> Talk with my hands too much. It's okay. So uh, similar to what you, you had in Idaho mm -hmm. um, yesterday where they assigned you a random number that kind of happens um, inside, you know, but it's based on your number of applications. And so, sure. you know, every single application gets a random number. And so it just kind of depends on where you fall inside that with Nevada. So I could have a chance every single year in Nevada. Yeah. And so by applying in Montana, I should get to hunt Montana probably every second or third year is the way the rotation is going to go now um, with the applications that are there. It used to be a sure bet and there used to be leftover licenses, not after COVID. Um, and, and and if this year's application numbers are the same as what they were last year, um, I'm just going to be brutally honest. This is this is this feels like it may be what we're dealing with for the next ten years as far as numbers go, mm. um, as far as number of applicants go. Because there's a lot of people who are going to remember that that man. This this kind of stunk not having um, meat on the meat at Walmart. Yeah, you know. So there's going to be a lot of people that are that are not okay with that. Um, and then, so then I've got Nevada. Well, now my next, my next play is that I know I am so far behind in Colorado on points that I'm going to build a strategy where landowner tags are something that um, are a thing for me. And so I'm going to save up. So every few years I can go and buy a landowner tag. Um, and it really depends on where my preference would be a third season hunt. Um, inside Colorado and why I want a third season hunt is that won't compete with my season dates for my bread and butter state Wyoming. Yeah. And so, um, because of the, because of where Idaho is at, as far as, um, their system is going to change here real soon. I think, um, it, especially if this, it never used to be a big deal when they opened up their license sales. Like people used to wait till the very end of the season to go buy Idaho tags. Well, now, because it's become so competitive, they buy it that day. That's 
can't see that being sustainable. There's yeah. probably going to be a straight draw yeah. at some point. I don't have any Plus insider it's information like, on It's that. so hard if you have a group or something. Like we had three guys and you know, one guy was like 9,000. I was 13,000. Another guy was like 16,000. And so we got, you know, we all agreed, all right, this is our top three choices. Two of us got the tag we wanted. The other one got there and they were sold out, you know, and he's kind of yep. up the creek without a paddle, you know? Yep. So, but I guess that's yep. the way it goes. I mean, it is a weird system at the same time. It is kind of nice to like know like okay i have yep. two tags now like i'm not waiting for draw results and stuff so it's yep. i guess it's got its positive and negatives but it, do, it does seem like kind of unsustainable i what's going to be unsustainable is is the system's ability to handle the number of people that right. were put at the back of the line right because if there's a whole bunch of people that did not get tags they're going to complain that it was unfair right you know and so because you can't you really can't call this an over-the-counter system anymore when a random number was assigned. Right. It's not truly over-the-counter at that point. Yep. So we'll see what um, we'll see if they're forced to do anything. Like I said, I have no insider knowledge that that's going to happen. But if you look at what's happened in, in other places, um, in particular with mule deer, because mule deer are a more finite resource than elk, yeah. um, and elk elk can repopulate a lot quicker than mule deer can too. Um, they're not as um, subject to other, other factors yeah. like, like, like elk are elk can, elk can figure out um, migration patterns and do things yeah. a bit different. Whereas mule deer really struggle. Um, it seems like with those I, things. I might be wrong, but at least in Idaho, anyway, the elk tags sold out quicker and in more number than the mule deer tags. So it seems like, maybe more people are wanting to hunt elk um yep which maybe they is are. good good for mule deer i guess it's good and bad um yeah. so elk elk are sexy right now i mean it's yeah. just the, the yeah, way that it it's is true if you go if you go on youtube everybody wants to go on an archery elk hunt yeah um it's like the thing yep and so i want to be what, cam haynes <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's and like I know you know, random people that don't even hunt like the, my, uh, my CrossFit coach, like he's doesn't even yep. hunt, but like he got into like, he just bought a bow cause like he thought it was cool. And like, you know, Cam Haynes, yep. you know what I mean? Like, um, he wants to get into it, but in a way it's, it's really good for, I mean, it is good for hunting. Um, you know, it might make more competition, but it, like you said, it's like cool now. Yep. Like even guys who don't hunt are like, Whoa, I want to go archery elk hunting. You know what I mean? So I, I hear people talk about the competition and I need to just sit down and do this and figure it out. Um, but one of the things that I see as a, like the baby boomers are leaving the sport, like, like at a, at a, at an incredible rate. Yeah. Um, some of them are still applying for hunts cause they've done it for years, but when most of them are in their lower, lower sixties, all the way up to, you know, mid seventies, um, a lot of them are coming out of the system. So like we get emails regularly, Hey, I'm 67 years old and I drew this third season Colorado deer tag and it's a hard hunt, you know? And they're like, what do I do? And at that point we're like, get an outfitter, you know, you need yeah. to help go. You, you were invested in this system for 25 years worth of points. Go right. get, go get the help for sure. You know? Um, and for most of those guys, if they're approaching us at that point, they don't mind doing that. Um, but the 
they're going to leave that hunting pool just from not physically being able to, and some of them will pass away over time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we are seeing a changeover in the guard. We'll see if those numbers are, um, we'll see if they're similar. Um, There's going to be a lot of data that comes out in the next few years because like Colorado had like 70,000 more applications um, last year than the year before. Now, how many of those applications are for people that were already hunting, but they're making sure they get their cow tag rather than relying on the leftover? Yeah. You know, how many, how many of those were that, Right. how many were actually new hunters? And the only thing that's going to prove that out is time to see if that's, if that's the trend that continues. Cause I know that's happened in Wyoming. Um, just anecdotally in our office, there's, there's 13 of us here that are on site and, about every one of us applied for our antlerless tags rather than wait for a leftover because it's like nope we're making sure we got it yeah that's yeah well it's it's good and bad i guess it's you know can be good for hunting but also like i said more competition so um yeah i do have a selfish question for you okay um (laughs) so i have my um october kind of set with that idaho hunt for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's because I grew up hunting whitetails. I don't know. For some reason, for me, I'm actually more attracted to mule deer right now than I am elk. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> You're my friend. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, I love deer. Like, seeing some of that footage from y'all's uh, video, mm-hmm. like those, just those giant, like, yep. velvet bucks on that hillside. Just And when I was in New Mexico with Dan, we saw some banger, like, mule deer. And this is, like, the first yep. mule deer I've seen up close Yep. I literally saw them and thought they were elk at first. They were so big. Yep. And I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? I was like, those are elk for sure. And Dan's like, no, nah, I don't think. And he's like, no, no, those are just giant yep. mule deer. Um, yep. So anyway, so I'm going to be going into this year with two Montana deer points and two mm-hmm. Wyoming deer points. Um, do you have any recommendations for... Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's kind of not the best question to ask publicly, but, well, um, let me tell you, I'll do, I'll do broad stroke strategies. Yeah. Maybe that's um, good. Yeah. So you don't have enough in Wyoming to do anything yet. Okay. Um, just to be realistic for if if you're actually chasing, you know, deer that looks like this. Um, and, you and the other point, wait. the other part of this equation is being that I've never killed a mule deer. I don't need a giant. Like I'd be happy with like a good representative buck. Go go do the general tag in Montana first and save your points in Wyoming because you as a non-resident are going to be better off saving your points for long-term on mule deer in Wyoming than you would be for, um, for something else. You know, like I, what I would do if I were in your shoes, if I were building your four state strategy, make Montana and Idaho kind of your rotation of where you would go and try and do regularly as long as, as long as Idaho gives you a chance, you'll yeah. be fine. You know, so I would go get in on that system and learn how to hunt mule deer there. Um, this year, what I would, if I were, you know, giving you advice just 100% as a subscriber and, you know, do your research on the unit you drew, you know, like, and because now you know where you're hunting in Idaho. Yeah. Um, Which is so, nice. yes. Um, when you're hunting for mule deer, you're hunting for country 
as much as you are hunting for deer themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to be in the right spot for where they are at that moment. Um, because it's probably an October hunt in Idaho, I'm going to recommend, okay, they're going to be hard horned then. Um, September 15th, mule deer might be hard horned. They might not be in region G and H here. And so, um, I, you can, you can still hunt them in the high basin some, although I will say archery season is changing that it's changing. It's putting pressure on them. Archery elk season, like there's a lot more guys doing elk hunts. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that is a, that is a challenge there. Um, but what I would highly recommend you do is go get your first deer in Idaho and then either bank your points in Montana. So you're almost guaranteed for next year, or if you can figure out how to swing those two together, um, a, a realistic expectation in Montana for like a public land mule deer is you could get a 160 if you hunt really hard and have a good spot. Um, but it's hard. Like yeah. it, it's a, it is a challenge because, because they hunt them during the rut. So the age class, the age class on public land is just a challenge. Yeah. Can you find big mule deer? Absolutely. You know, they're, they're there. We see a few giants from Montana every year. Um, but where we see, where we see the vast majority of the giant deer come from and is the hard to draw limited quota, limited entry hunts. Yeah. You know, that, sure. that's just how it works. So there's Colorado, um, Nevada region G and H and Wyoming. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of places that we see really big mule deer come from consistently, but for you as a non-resident, even G and H now is like six, eight points, you know, kind of yeah. depending on circumstance and year, that sort of thing. And, could get worse. You know, we, yeah. we you never know. Um, and it, you never know how that's going to work. Um, For sure. so I, if I were you save up Wyoming points, yeah. then stay in the Idaho strategy, then Montana, figure out how to do it every other year ish, you know, so you get a rotation there so and then try to pick up a general, a general tag in Montana. That's, yep. that's a, that's a draw tag too. Right. Yeah. And general just means that it's like multiple units. Correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So the general season in Montana and Dan Picard is a really good resource for this. He writes our MRS. And so, um, tag hub members, you get access to ask questions. We've got the two minute tips. So Dan's going to cover this in a two minute tip. He doesn't know that, but um, this is, (laughs) this is a relatively new deal. Um, but the two minute tips is we talk about all the different things that are kind of affecting states. So what is a general tag in Montana? Well, the MRS author who is Dan would give a breakdown of what, what a general tag looks like. What are the combos? How does that all work? Um, he did several videos or he did a video a while back on how you pick out a deer hunt in Montana. So that'd actually be a great video. I'll send you a link to that. Yeah, it's man. up on our YouTube. Um, sure. But he, you know, when you say general, uh, a general tag, that usually means that you have a broad range of places you can go. Um, and so most states, that is kind of the way a general tag works. Um, personally, I'm kind of hoping that um, they start making us pick a little bit more of where we have to hunt, mm-hmm. you know, pay, you know, because um, I think that will help with management a little bit better in particular yeah. here in Wyoming. Um, I don't Montana's challenge is that you have so many hunters that um, and the November season is very ingrained and it's a big tradition there. Um, so that's the that's the bigger issue with that as far as. Montana changing their season. So they probably won't. So they'll manage for the Montana strategy basically has a managing for the, the top end. They don't get much past four years old as far as mule deer go. Yeah. Um, and so 
I, that's how, that's what I would encourage you to do. I'd also start point. I'd start point banking um, in Colorado Started. and then maybe, yep. And so then maybe Nevada too. Started buying points. Okay. <laughs> I started okay. everywhere I could. So yeah, so you're on the right path. Um, what I would, but you just have to pick it right. Don't put yourself in. If you know you've got a, you've already got a, a hunt in Idaho, and you've got a pretty good chance of drawing in Montana. Don't put in in Nevada this year. Right. You, you know, like manage it so that you're you're going to be. You know, you have good odds. You're stacking the deck in your favor all the time. For sure. So that. And then what that does is that also allows you to say, um, you know, say you save up your eight points in Wyoming and you go do a backcountry awesome hunt for mule deer. Well, then you may four years later decide, you know what, I want to go hunt one of those desert units that doesn't take as many points to do. I'm just going to go do that, you know, but that allows you to develop some certainty or you can apply with your four points and hope for the, for a few of the random tags in harder to draw like G and H. Yeah. So, you know, but I wouldn't chase max points or trying to get to that max point pool on any of it. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Um, the guys and we've now got more max point holders applying for like three tags in some of these like 101 and 102. There are a whole bunch of people with max points that apply for that. And there are only a few tags that are given away um, to non-residents. And then on top of that, you've now got, um, so you've got basically this, this giant max point pool that keeps growing and you're mm -hmm. only cycling a few out all the time. So that's just something to kind of consider and, yeah. and think about and look at. So, well, cool, man. Well, definitely looking forward to checking out, um, tag hub. That sounds like a really cool tool with all those like filtering stuff. It is man. a lot you can learn from it. Um, and, uh, are you a, are you a spring bear guy? I am not, man. You okay. need to talk to Dan. We, we need to get Dan Picard on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I definitely to want to get that. him on. Um, because just because so. I was thinking about trying to pick up a spring bear tag in my Idaho unit to kind of scout and bear hunt simultaneously. Because, you know, going to Idaho is not... Mm -hmm. I can't just drive to Idaho. <laughs> no. It's, it's not an easy thing coming from the East Coast all no. the way over there. So. But um, anyway, that's cool, man. Yeah, it sounds like a really awesome tool. Um, and yeah, looking forward to getting Dan on here at some point. Um, I love yep. I love what you guys do with off the grid and off the grid TV and all that stuff. So because um, my my background is in I was a cam op and a producer for a TV show out here for like seven years. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of the 700 Club? Pat Robertson? Yes, actually, I have. <laughs> I worked for the 700 Club. OK, they're based here. And so anyway. Um, which actually kind of goes into my next question. So I was listening to a podcast and this is sort of one of the themes of the podcast kind of shifting gears here, but, um, I was listening to one of your podcasts with Brian and just kind of reading through the lines a little bit of kind of what you were talking about a little bit. Are you a believer by chance? Yep, I am. Actually, <laughs> I was a full-time youth pastor for 12 oh, nice. years. Um, and okay. we actually, ironically, I actually moved here to do collegiate ministry. Oh, nice. Um, and so that was a little bit, a uh, little bit different than, um, cause well, let me tell the story. Um, and we'll, it'll all make sense. Yeah. Um, so I was doing full-time youth ministry. I was getting a little bit older and, you know, we're kind of sorting through like, and I'd been married a little while. And so we're kind of sorting through, what do we do? You know, is this, is this what we keep doing? Is this how this keeps working? You know, what does that look like? And, what happened was um, we 
I, I went to this um, youth event in Grable, Wyoming, which is about 45 minutes here in Powell, where we're at. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't, there wasn't a college ministry there. And we've been doing college ministry in Rock Springs, where I was a pastor, and we really enjoyed it. Um, and so I was kind of passionate about it. And so I was talking to the pastor and Grable, why isn't there one here in Northwest College? And he's like, well, there isn't. So why don't you come do it? <laughs> and so I really didn't have an excuse. And so Lord kind of um, laid that on our hearts and we started praying about it. Okay. When do we do it? Well, my wife, um, she was actually looking at the classifieds here in Powell and she found out that, um, <laughs> there was a job at Eastman's available. And oh, I've cool. obviously, you know, we were, we were getting Eastman's videos when I was in high school, like of Mike and all the bucks on the winter range. And, yeah. you know, Popeye was a legend to all of us, you know, so <laughs> it was kind of, okay, I'll apply. Yeah. But, it, you know, I had no idea, but I was actually qualified for it because I've got two degrees. One's in practical theology and then one is um, in uh, communications with an emphasis on public relations is what okay. that was. But I'd been doing a bunch of freelance writing and had learned how to do some some tech things that kind of made me qualified for this job. And so I applied and bear in mind, this is in December when I applied and I was expecting that. I would, um, I was going to kind of figure out how to move in May at the end of the school year. Uh-huh. So that just a transition period and kind of get, you know, gave me enough time to do, you know, to help out. And I sent my resume and I had no idea how long this process would take. 6.45 the next morning, Ike had sent me a email saying, hey, uh, let's talk today. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm listening. And so <laughs> nice. first, the first question Ike asked me was like, so why do you want to um, to move to Powell, Wyoming? And I said, well, um, I actually want to move up there to start a college ministry and I can't survive on what that pays. You know, so I've got yeah. to do this by vocation. And he's like, Oh, well, that's awesome. We love having people on staff here who serve in the community and, you know, do things like that. And cool. so we'd love to, you know, we'd love to see that. And then, you know, we have the discussions like, Scott, you will never have an issue with me with, you know, you needed to do ministry and things like that, get things done. And as long as, nice. you know, I don't feel like you're taking advantage of me, um, there won't be an issue. And I'm that's still awesome. doing it eight, eight years later. Oh, um, really? So. Okay. Yeah, my wife and I love doing the college ministry. Um, That's cool. You know, I've got hunting goals, um, but at the end of the end of my life, like the big bucks and stuff up on my wall will be cool. But I really, honestly believe the people that I discipled and shared my faith with and helped them grow would definitely um, trump that by 100%. a thousand percent. You know, totally, it's, man. Uh, yeah, it's. Um, like when you so, get to heaven, Jesus is going to be like, good job helping this guy. Not like, oh man, you crushed it on that buck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so that's, um, you know, when I look at, when I look at the, at the whole circumstances and the way that that operates and works, um, you know, that's, that's where my, my, my value in life is. Um, when I look at the way that I'm raising my kids, that's another piece of the equation. So, um, that's, that's how that works. Awesome, you know, that's man. a fairly, um, fairly important piece of life is doing that ministry. And you know, it's what's got, what God has called us to, yeah. um, you know, and I say peace because, you know, raising my family is number one priority. There is nothing, you know, more important than For that. Sure. Um, you know, there is no greater indicator of who you are than your kids. 
yeah. you know, just to be, you know, actually I'm stealing that from Ike, you know, cause he's, he said that to me before and he's right. You know, when you look at the way, way your kids behave and the way that they turn out, um, and sometimes it's a long run thing. Sometimes your kids make poor decisions and then, sure. um, then they, then the ship gets righted later and it's the work yeah. that you did then, um, that's there. So I've used, I've used hunting my, my entire ministry career as a tool for ministry. Oh, cool. Um, I've brought a lot of young men hunting who had never been before. Um, sometimes they got into it. Sometimes they didn't, but it will, it's pretty amazing what can happen when people challenge themselves. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So that's, that's a, that's a big piece of the equation there too, that's is cool. that it, it opens them up to conversations you'd never otherwise. For sure. Yeah. And I'm, um, like I said, it's kind of a theme of the podcast. I'm actually currently full-time staff at a church. Um, I'm looking to possibly go more into this space full-time, maybe. Um, actually got some stuff in transition right now, as we kind of talked about a little bit yesterday. But, um, but yeah, the TV show I worked for is a Christian TV show. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to your podcast and I heard you say something about being a be- uh, resounding gong. And I was like, that dude, that's Paul right there. This dude is yep. a Christian for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, I've uh, got some of the isms down for sure. Man. Yeah. Some of that uh, seminary speak that gets tossed. Well, it's around. so we subtle, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, and I heard so, you say yeah. blessed a couple of times instead of lucky. And I was like, yeah, I bet this dude's. So earlier we were talking about before we started recording um, mm-hmm. about routines and we were talking about hitting the gym and stuff like that in the morning. And, you know, I've, I've always found that, um, you know, spiritual discipline, spiritual fitness, <laughs> um, takes discipline just yep. like physical fitness. Um, yep. so I'm, I, and, and so I've incorporated that into my routine as well. Like the first thing I do yep. when I wake up in the morning is spend time with the Lord. So do you have like a routine that you kind of do with that as yep. well? So what I had to do, um, and, and this has changed, uh, multiple times, um, if I need to pray about something, I dedicate a time to it. Yeah. Um, it it's not just like um, this podcast. Day. You got to have a time, yeah. a location. And like, you know, exactly. just, if you're going to talk to God, it doesn't just happen. You got to have yep. a plan. Yep. And so what I've done is, um, there, it, there are several, and part of this is my life as a pastor kind of compartmentalize this and believe it or not, sometimes church staffers are the ones who read their Bible the least as sad yep. as that may sound. Um, totally. And so what I had to do is I started figuring out that, you know what, if I, if I do cardio at the end of every workout, I can get through the Bible listening to it every 18 months. Nice. And then there's always some level of Bible study that I'm doing. So whether it's the, the Bible study that I am teaching my college students where we're going through first Timothy this semester with those Ooh, students. That's a good one. Um, yeah. And so it, it was one that they needed and that I was excited to share with them. So, um, so I'm studying that I'm listening to the word as a whole, which keeps that 30,000 foot there. And then, you know, we go through scripture with our kids pretty regularly. Um, we've got a picture book Bible that I made it a point to read with my oldest two girls that they've been through the Bible probably 50 or 60 times in this picture book format. Wow, so they understand. Cool. Um, and I won't say that lightly because it's, it's an easy read. Okay. Like, let me not, don't, right. I haven't read the whole Bible to them like 50 <laughs> or 60 times. I've, yeah. It's a picture book, Bible, sure. but it's, it's a Bible that's designed to show Jesus throughout right. scripture um, because that gets lost a lot. And so I've been through that with my girls. Um, and so the discipline is the everyday portion. 
I realized that I can't do my Bible study first thing when I wake up. I'm too tired. Yeah. I, I don't get enough of it. I don't do well with it. So it's something that is an issue there. Um, so it made more sense for me to go work out, get that, listen, mm-hmm. and then dedicated time for the lessons that I'm teaching and things like that. So, you know, there are different, different pieces of that equation. Sure. Then the other part is managing your emotional health. Um, like this hunting is that for me. Yeah. Um, sometimes when I have a camera, it's a little tougher that to to be there so i have to make sure that there's a few hunts every year where i just went with my dad on a hunt you know yeah. we didn't we didn't kill anything it was a hard hunt um i i poorly timed the migration related to all this so it, it's one of those things that it just had to change um you know the way that i thought about it if if it's a work hunt i can't use that as an emotional release yeah but then now that I've been married, um, you know, almost 10 years, part of your emotional health has to be your relationship with your wife too, sure. you know, as a believer. And so you have to really enjoy that time. Um, we've got four kids, so we're nice. learning how to do that. Well, yes, we know where <laughs> they come from. Um, just before <laughs> that joke gets made. Um, so we, um, having the four kids, um, we've had to figure out how to give time to each other and it's hard. I'm not perfect at it. It's, it's a lot of work, but, um, you know, there's, there's emotional health tied to that. Um, spending time around other people who fill you up too, and making sure. sure that I'm somebody who's capable of filling up, you yep. know, don't get into negative Nancy type, um, conversations and things like that. 100%. Um, so for me, that's where a lot of the health comes, but if I'm doing all of those things, well, Um, and helping my wife do all those things well, then we're all going to be spiritually healthy. For sure, man. Well, that's awesome, dude. Like, um, that's, that's really good to hear and love connecting with other believers and talking about, you know, spirituality on the podcast (laughs) and stuff. And so that's cool, man. Um, well, I feel like I definitely need to have you back on the podcast at some time because like there's, you know, there's more stuff we get into, but, um, um, I think that's all I had for this one, man. But like where, tell people where they can find you, find Eastman's and all that stuff. Um, yep. and, and even tag hub. Yep. So tag hub.eastmans.com or tag hub backslash or tag. Yeah. Tag hub.eastmans.com. Nice. Um, I'll send you the link so you can put a lower third. So I don't sure, be yeah. confused or whatever, or put it in the description. Yeah. Um, follow all of Eastman's social at Eastman's hunting journals. Um, my uh, personal is, at eating the wild underscore ehj so you can should be able to search ehj and find it too i wanted associated with that business um account so that is where they can find me there um we have some we have some different cool things going on right now at eastman's if you um if you want to give three subscriptions like this is kind of a big deal this year with supply issues if you give three subscriptions we've got a, a cryptech shirt that you can get with that oh, nice. so you know you can gift yourself and give those three to three hunters that you know so it's kind of what, we, what we've got going on at eastman's right now so cool um and you can find all this at eastman's.com too so tag hubs right there front and center you know you nice. can, think you can see that there so I, I hesitate to tell what we have going on right now as far as the offer because that changes like every other week. But um, we always we're always giving away something with a tag hub elite yeah. annual membership. So you know, good deals. Cool, man. Well, it's been great talking to you, and I appreciate your time. And thanks for uh, reaching out. Hey, no problem. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Yeah, man.